Generally, the two things you will remember are the things you heard first and the things you heard last. It's everything in the middle that gets washed away. So I tried to put what I deemed as the most important first and last. This one I know is the most important one we're going to talk about, though, right? The fact of the matter is that the world today wants us to believe all roads get you to heaven. Right? As long as you are a good person, right? If you're following uh, a, a, in a Buddhist religion or a Hindu religion or, or, or Islam or a native religion to the Amazon or something like that, right? As long as you follow faithfully, you're going to get to heaven. Heck, Jews who followed faithfully will get to heaven. Jews got the closest. They're missing one very key aspect, the most important one. I'm here to say this morning, and I think most of you are going to agree with me, um, but we're going to get to a part where some of you aren't going to like it probably, uh, whether you're sitting here at home or, or listening at home, because the Bible says some very harsh things about this reality. But the fact of the matter is that there is one road that leads to heaven, right? Number one in your note sheets, small and narrow. If you grabbed a note sheet, there's some back there. There's, I think there's some still up there. If you need one, put a hand up and we'll have somebody grab you one, right? Small and narrow, small and narrow. John 14, 5 through 6 reads like this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's stop there, right? Jesus leaves no room, right? There's no room in there to wiggle around. Jesus, Thomas says, Thomas, right? What is Thomas famous for? He doubting. He's the doubter. He's the one who's like, I'm not going to believe Jesus is alive again until I put my hands in the wounds in his wrist and his sides. I don't believe it. Here's Thomas who asks maybe the most important question, though, in the whole of Scripture. How do we know where you're going? We don't know how to get there. And Jesus gives the most important response that you will find in Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Thomas asks a very valid question. I know he's been traveling with Jesus for a number of years now. I know he's heard Jesus' sermons. I get it. But he looks and he goes, you're leaving, and you say we're supposed to follow you. Where are you going? We don't know how to get there. And Jesus gives the most profound response there is. It's me. Just follow me. There's no wiggle room allowed in there. There's no, well, I mean, and I mean, you can think back to people like the rich young ruler, or even somebody like Nicodemus, who does eventually come to Jesus, but it takes a little while. There's no wiggle room. We're going to talk about that. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 reads like this, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Church, there are average, right, average, 7 billion people on the earth right now. Billion people. An astronomical number. There has never been more people populating this earth in the whole of human history than there is right now. Maybe yesterday, right? I'm not taking into account deaths and births and stuff like that, just as a general number. I would wager, maybe not all the money I've ever seen, but a good amount of it, that, boy, I'll be kind 
20% of that $7 billion, and I'm being very generous with that. Honestly, I think it's more like 10, maybe, that find the way through the gate. The scripture is clear that there is only one way. Now, I've talked before about how I, I love this town, right? I know a lot of people um, that they grew up and they could not wait to leave this sleepy little town, Milford, Halstead, Great Bend, Montrose. I don't get it. I think it's great. I love this place. One of the things that I love about it is, and I've talked about this before, is that if you just pick a road and drive down that road, eventually you'll find somewhere you recognize. And you go, oh, I know eight other ways to get to this one spot. Take, most of you will know where Milk Can Corners is, right? There's like 15 different ways to get there from here. It's great. You could go out through Montrose and go out that way. You could probably go all the way down to Tunkhannock and back around. You could go to Halstead. You could go out uh, from here. You could just go the, the simplest way, right? But there's a bunch of different ways to get to Milk Can Corners. My favorite thing about that is if I said, church, we're having church today. I'll give you a great example, right? We have the picnic at Wolf Lake. Four or five of you told me a different way you got to Wolf Lake this year. If I said we're going to Wolf Lake, you would go what is the easiest route for you, which for some of you means coming from the Hartford area or from the Montrose area or the Kingsley area or New Milford area, right? There's different paths to get there. It's great. I love it. It's one of the things I love most about this town, this area. Jesus said there's only one way to go to heaven. That's it. You can't get there from a multitude of roads, a multitude of different paths. The gate is wide and broad that leads to destruction, but the gate is small and narrow that leads to life. It's tiny. There's only one way into that city. If you don't, if you're either sitting here or listening at home or on the podcast or whatever, right, and you don't want to accept that truth, I can't help you. That is the most basic truth, the most important truth in all of Scripture. You want to believe that you're just the way that you are and you shouldn't change? Fine. Go ahead. I think you're wrong, and I think I proved last week you're wrong, but all right. You want to say God won't give me anything I can't handle? Fine. You're wrong, but fine. I won't fight you. You want to say things like that? Fine. This is the breaking point. This is the one point where we must find common ground. And if you don't want to agree with me, I can't fight you on it. All I can do is beg you to see the truth of it. We're going to talk in a little bit. Good works doesn't get you there. Following a certain religion doesn't get you there. Church, I'm going to say this. Being a Christian doesn't get you there accepting Christ gets you there. Now you might say those are the same thing. I don't say they're the same thing. Christian is a word that we gave it. I want to know, do you, have you accepted Christ? It's small and it's narrow. And here's the thing, number two on your note sheets, and you can flip to the next slide. Depart from me. Number two on your note sheets, depart from me. Oh, sorry. I'm going to read verse 12 as well of uh, Psalm 
scripture passage, I don't remember which one. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's just Jesus, right? That's just another verse stating it's just Jesus. Now this is the one for, for number two on your note sheets. This is Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If we say, let's, let's, I'm just going to do ease of math, okay? Let's say there are 10,000 professing Christians in the world. There are far more than that. There are millions in America, right? Every time they take a census, the number gets smaller, but it's still the majority religion, which means millions of people profess to be Christians in America, right? But let's, for ease of math, we'll say it's 10,000 people in the world. Say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ. What do these three, four verses mean? It means that of those 10,000, maybe half, maybe have actually accepted Christ. You see, here's the thing that is terrifying to me. Not because of my own salvation, because I'm assured of mine. I know me. I know what I have done. The thing that is terrifying to me is that I know a lot of people who profess to be Christians. And I can't be assured that they're going to go to heaven. I can't. And in fact, I can be assured that a number of them are not, and I don't know which ones. One of the greatest things, greatest accomplishments Satan has ever done was this, make America's religion Christianity and make it socially acceptable to go to church. Why? Isn't it a good thing to go to church? Of course it is, please come to church, right? If you listen at home, please come to church. I'm not bashing church in any way, shape, or form. I am saying, and I've heard a number of you say, not just you guys, people, Christians in general, say, boy, I wish it was like it was in the 70s and 80s when churches were full. And you know where those full churches went? To hell. Because they still didn't believe. One of the greatest accomplishments Satan had is that he made it the social norm to go to church. Church has never been, when you read through scripture, church wasn't the social norm. Churches had to meet underground. Churches had to do what needed to be done. You know what that did? It weeded out the fake Christians. Now, again, do not misunderstand me. I've said before, I love this country. I love the freedoms that it represents. I love that I don't have to fear the government walking through these doors right now and shutting us down and throwing me in prison. It's an incredible freedom. I'm not bashing that at all. I am saying, look throughout history, when has the church grown? It has not been in times of good. It's been in hardship and tribulation. I want to say this as well. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in this room or listening. I am saying, and I'm going to ask you this, and I hope I offend somebody in here or that's listening, because if I do, it means you're listening and God got a hold of your heart. Are you sure? Have you just gone to church your whole life you know the songs, you know the scriptures. Have you just gone to church your whole life or have you given that life to Christ? Those are not one and the same. You see, doing enough, doing is not enough. We read right there, they said, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out 
demons and perform miracles. The name of Je- that should prove right there that it is not humans that cast out demons or do miracles. It is the name of Jesus who does those things. And unbelievers can use the name of Jesus. We know they can because they just said they could. Claiming the name of Jesus is not enough. Claiming the name of Jesus over your life, that's where it lays. Saying, God, I need you. I need a savior. I'm claiming Jesus over me. He is my king. He is my savior. And I'm giving him my life. I can't encourage you guys sitting here or at home enough. If there is any doubt, any doubt whatsoever, make sure. Just make sure. Because I would much rather get to heaven personally, and I'm just talking for me. I would much rather get to heaven and have God go, Sam, you asked for salvation 253 times over your 87 and a half years. I had you the first time. Then have me show up and go, you never asked. Yes, you preached my word. Yes, you did great things for people. You helped people. You gave money. You, you proclaimed people. You did things in my name. You did all of that. You never asked for me to be yours. Or you, let me flip that. You never asked for you to be mine. Depart from me. I never knew you. I'd rather have Jesus go, come on. I had you the first time. Then I never had you at all because you didn't ask. And if there's a doubt in your mind, church, if I can say something, and my aunt might not like this, but that's all right. What, a month ago? A month and a half ago? Something like that. Grandma called me up. Well, we were doing a, we were doing a prayer meeting. And she had a question about these verses in particular. She goes, I've read them a lot, but I'm concerned. She was scared that Jesus was going to say, depart from me. Now, all of you in here knew Grandma. I don't think Jesus was saying that to her, and I told her as such. I said, Grandma, I know you. I know you've given your heart to him. But if you have a little bit of doubt, I said, it's all right. Go ask him again. And he's going to be up in heaven smiling, going, come on, child. I got you. But it's all right. And I am guessing that last Monday, right? Or the Monday before that. The Monday before that, I should say, she got to heaven, and Jesus went, Come on, you went 80 years and had to ask again, I've got you. Welcome in. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, Satan loves to use doubts. So just go back to Jesus with him. If the Holy Spirit is placing any doubt on your heart, please, I'm begging you, don't hear him say, depart from me because you are too stubborn and went, well, I've been to church. I know the songs. I know the verses. I did it when I was two. Just be sure. Number three, let's end us here today. Number three, by grace. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. In a second, in a different book, he says, this is Paul writing, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one, may boast. For generations, people have tried to be like, what's the, the percentage salvation, you versus God? It's 50-50. And no, we shot that down pretty quickly. Well, it's 99 God, 1% you. Church, it is not you and I. It has never been you and I. It will never be you and I. If it was, Jesus would have never died. 
Jesus, right? God said, I'll make the way. By my grace, by my kindness, by my love, by my mercy, I will make the way. Now, there's two reasons for this when we read those scriptures. One, he loved us and knew we couldn't do it on our, on our own. Two, notice, not on the basis of deeds, so that no man may boast. Church, I want to tell you something about God this morning. He does not share his glory with anyone. And this salvation is the most glorious thing he has ever done. Better than creating the heavens and the earth, angels and humans and animals and plant life. Better than wiping it all out and making it anew, which he will do. Read the end of Revelation, right? Better than all of that is a three-day moment in human history. It is the most glorious thing he has ever done, and he was not going to share that glory with any of his creation. It is not 99% and one. It is two billion percent and none. God has no need of you or I to accept him. If he's called you, you're going to. He made the way. He did it. He made the gate. He did. Now here's the thing. Because I've heard this before, and I didn't write this one down here, but here's the answer to this, right? I've heard it said from some unbelievers who are struggling with this, right? We call it deconstruction now. That's kind of the, the, the key term. I'm deconstructing my faith, which just means that you're just not actually a believer. It might offend some people. I'm sorry. You can't deconstruct something God has built. Go ahead and try. And if God built your faith, you can't deconstruct it. I'm not saying questions are a bad thing. I am saying that if you go, I've deconstructed my faith, I broke it down, then it wasn't faith in the first place. It wasn't. It wasn't faith in God in the first place. It might have been faith in your parents' belief in God. It might have been faith in what you read in other places. It might be faith in your church's faith, but it is not faith in God. And those are very different things. I've heard it said from a lot of people, if Jesus, God, right, Holy Spirit, is so loving and kind and merciful, why is the gate narrow? Wouldn't it be super wide? Here is the response to that, and I'm going to tell you, as humans, we do not like it. Of the trillions of people, most likely, that have walked this earth since its inception uh, about 6,000 or so years ago, right, since that moment, if God chose to save one person, it is the ultimate act of grace and mercy that has ever been done. He's chosen to save, I think, millions. Over the course of history, millions of people. That is grace and mercy. See, we have a faulty idea of what grace and mercy is. We say grace and mercy is God saves everybody. Grace and mercy is God saved one. Grace and mercy is God saved you. We don't like that idea because we like to think of God as we want to think of him, right? I want my Jesus to look like this, not what it says he looks like in here. Let's wrap up. Here's the thing, church. There's no, let's apply it, there's nothing I can give you today to go home and change your life with except for this. The gate is narrow. There are few who find it. Make sure you're one of them. And make sure you show it to as many people as you can. You can't force somebody to walk through it. 
You can't force, right? What's the saying? You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can show somebody Christ. You can show somebody that gate. You can show somebody that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't make them change. You can't make them choose him. Keep trying. Keep taking them back. Keep taking them back. And you keep going back. You make sure you're getting through that gate. You can't lose your salvation. I should have put this in here. You can't sin and your salvation is gone. But sometimes Satan likes to shoot doubts at us. And that's all right. When Satan shoots a, a dart at you and you start to doubt a little bit, you go back to God and you say, God, I know I asked. I know I did. But I need to make sure. You're my king. You're my savior. And I'm, I give myself to you. Be my king and my savior. And help me to show that to as many people as we can. That's why we take up communion. To remind us what he did for us. This is the most important sermon I've preached in my time here. It is the most important sermon of this little uh, sermon series. It's the most important thing I can say. Because everything else that I preach doesn't matter unless this is set in place. And I just want to encourage you, church. Keep going. The gate is narrow, but if you're on that road, keep going. Because we'll get there someday, and we'll get to go in. And I'm hoping, and I'm praying that I see as many of you guys, as many of my friends, as many as people that watch or listen elsewhere, I, can't, I would love if I got to heaven and somebody went, you know, I'm a Christian because your church didn't give up on me. That's amazing. I don't know if that's the case yet. I don't. Maybe I'll never know, but I know that we need to preach the gospel, and I want to preach it to you guys, and I want you to in turn go and preach to others. Would you pray with me? Father, we know... There is one road that leads to heaven. I want to ask if there is anyone who hears these words that, that does not believe that, that you would impress upon them that truth, that fact, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through you. Father, I want to ask as well, not ask, I want to thank you for salvation. I want to thank you that it wasn't up to me because I would fail. It was up to you. And I thank you that in your grace and your mercy, you did it. You did it. And I want to ask, Father, that whether they're listening right now or we're talking to them later or whatever, that you would shine through us and we'd lead them to that narrow gate. Whether they go in or not is up to them, right? Whether they accept you or not, but we can at least show the way. I thank you that your word speaks so much truth. Not just this one of salvation, but so many other things of what you want for us. And I pray, Father, that every time we try to open the book of Second Opinions again, because we all will, that you would be right there pointing us to the right truth of what your word says. Father, we praise you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen and amen.